year 2K, meaning thousand, the year 2000, which is coming up. And so this Sunday I begin it, and I intend to handle it in, in three sermons. As you're probably reasonably well aware, as I've been going through the Gospel of John for several years now, um, <clears throat> topical sermons are something that I do rarely. And one of the dangers with a topical sermon, and probably why I do it so rarely, is when you do a topical sermon, sometimes you're left grasping for passages. <laughs> you're trying to weave together biblical principles, and rather than find a proof text here or there, you know, bring out this little verse or this snippet of a verse, uh, <clears throat> you don't have the, a passage or a paragraph or several verses as you do when you preach um, expositorily from going through a book or a particular set of passages. So you will see that I have interspersed various scriptural passages throughout the message. But a passage that I think is crucial for us to consider as we consider this topic or uh, any topic that relates to how we live in this present day is Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 20. If you have a Bible, please turn <clears throat> and read along as I read aloud from the Word of God. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Dear Father, we give you thanks for your word, because through the powerful working of your Holy Spirit, you change human hearts and lives. We give you thanks for bringing us into your kingdom through revealing to us your Son, Jesus Christ, through the pages of Scripture in the convicting work of your Holy Spirit, revealing to us our sins and the necessity of our depending upon him and upon him alone for our salvation. Pray for any in our congregation and families who do not know this, that you would, through your Holy Spirit, bring this conviction upon them as well. I pray, Lord, that my words, as we address this topic, this subject, this upcoming event, my words would be faithful and in keeping with your word, because your word alone is holy and just and true, having the power to make human lives live, become in conformity with your desire. In Jesus' name, amen. I think it would be fair to say that the following letters, two letters that I have lifted from the pages of World Magazine, uh, summarize the situation as we approach the end of this century, <clears throat> beginning of the new millennium. The first one's entitled, An, An Unprecedented Threat, written by a Robert S. Berry who lives in Greenville, Tennessee. Maybe Jim has met him on his way down there. <clears throat> and he writes in response to articles that uh, World Magazine had about Y2K and the whole crisis, I was appalled at your second-rate coverage of Y2K. It obviously presents an unprecedented threat to our whole way of life. This is his reaction to Y2K. <clears throat> the second one, by Alfred Corduan, Redondo Beach, California. Birds and ants store up for the winter, but God has not directed any of them to store up for Y2K. 
He is obviously prepared to take care of them. Why does this not apply to us? On the one hand, a life-or-death view of the impending crisis when the odometer turns from 1999 to 2-0-0-0. On the other, a man viewing the crisis as one that may or may not be one of doom, but expressing unconcerned faith in God's provision. Now, even for me to give a summary of these two letters in the manner in which I have done so, may seem disingenuous, because the first author might well say he is not lacking in faith. He merely does not want to be like the student who does not study, then goes into the classroom and asks God to help him make an A on the test. Incidentally, I'm well aware that this past week school starts, and next week they start in earnest. So for those of you who have just begun the school year, a short few of you, you can pass the message on, <clears throat> let me remind you that this practice is not one that God rewards. <laughs> he intends us to study to show ourselves prepared and diligent. You remember that. <clears throat> While the second author may speak highly of having the sort of faith that God will provide for those who do not store up for Y2K, when in reality it's quite possible, conceivable at least, that he is simply ignoring the necessity and perhaps even, we're not implying these things of him, but perhaps even too lazy to do so. However the case may be, I'm pointing out that you can have two readings of these letters depending upon your view concerning this upcoming event. Both men make serious and valid points that we must examine in looking at the crisis in our culture concerned with the impending Y2K situation. Now, it may seem somewhat uh, uh, too much to go into the issue. Why is it a crisis of any sort? Simply put, for any who are not explicitly aware of this situation and the debate surrounding it. Most of our world is now run by computer brains. Not, not mine. mine. <laughs> you might think so sometimes, but no. <clears throat> Mechanical devices, cars with their electronic ignitions. <clears throat> Some of you will remember back in the days when the cars were simple and you could tune up a car by yourself. A man was just talking to me the other day about how it used to be simple. You could you know, on a nice afternoon, you could tune up your car in the afternoon. Nowadays, you don't even dare try it. You send it down to the mechanic because it has to be hooked up to a computer because the computer diagnostic equipment can immediately say, your car has a faulty emission control or the, the uh, transmission is not shifting properly and so you need to replace a sensor, which in itself is a, many times a computer chip involved in it. <coughs> There are all sorts of other computer chips that drive the various functions <coughs> of our world. Banks with their ATM machines. How many of you have used an ATM machine within the last two weeks? Some of you don't on principle. How many of you have not used an ATM machine in the last four weeks? Ha, ha, ha. You all might be okay come January. <laughs> <coughs> However, beyond that, the banks, of course, use computers to keep track of their balances, transfer money electronically, railroad crossings and switches, which determine which signal came first, 
and open switches and crosses accordingly. Grocery stores with scanned prices and beyond that in a more significant way receive inventory based upon computer tracking of expiration dates and inventory control. Probably many of us have heard of the, the company that threw out a whole batch of groceries because the expiration date was zero, zero, and the system determined in a computer way that it was all garbage because it was <clears throat> this many years old, past the year 1900. <clears throat> so it's, it's happening already. <clears throat> all sorts of other manufacturers and suppliers which run anything and everything by inventory control, including drug companies which keep or discard drugs according to their expiration date. As if this were not enough, the federal government is run by a huge system of connected and separate computers. <clears throat> it seems like the separate unconnected computers are all within the Department of Internal Revenue, in which each computer has, like we would have expected of the IRS, a mind of its own. <laughs> and that was the news of the recent years, is <clears throat> how poorly they're all connected. The Immigration and Nationalization Service. Again, another area where <clears throat> even if things were going well, there would be difficulties. <clears throat> From welfare to Social Security to Medicare to Department of Defense to Federal Aviation Association for Air Traffic Control, the entitlement programs particularly are especially vulnerable to breakdown in the upcoming circumstances. <clears throat> Beyond this, of course, is the interconnectedness of the world around us, which puts suppliers, governments, banks, and the world in general in a vulnerable situation based upon the weakest link. Now, we are all aware that efforts are being made not only to correct <clears throat> these things internally in federal governments, uh, <clears throat> in private businesses, but those who are seeking to correct their problems are also trying to see to it that when the, the century millennium turns, that they're not going to be in a crisis situation because they're dealing with some sort of supplier, whether it's of widgets or or greenbacks that is going to have an impact upon their system that fouls them all up, which is also one of the other unknown variables in the midst of it. <clears throat> now, there are some who are preparing in earnest, <clears throat> buying farmland out in the country, selling everything in the city to move out of civilization to a place where they can be self-sufficient. While others are eagerly anticipating the event, <clears throat> in a way which our scripture passage reveals is far from the best. Because it's interesting to note in the midst of all of this uh, that's going on that champagne is hard to get because it has been all bought up. All the good champagne has been bought up many months ago because people are planning on, I guess, what does the passage say? Not in... <clears throat> Not, do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So many people are thinking that the, that the champagne should flow uh, in abundance when this year changes. This is most definitely an event of our day. And more importantly, it may be more than that. It may also be an event of biblical proportions and significant, an event of which there is prophecy in Scripture. This is the fuel, the fact that we are coming to a crisis in our world. Uh, there would naturally be this because the millennium is changing, something that even if some of us are able to live in three centuries, not any one of us is going to live in three millennia. 
<clears throat> We've got that down. We know that. <clears throat> but more than that, it's brought about as a crisis because of these technological issues which bring other questions to bear. But this is the fuel that has driven the bestseller status and popularity of Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins' apocalyptic end-time series of soon-to-be seven books. <clears throat> Let me comment that although these books are interesting, from a theological viewpoint, this series presents a specific view of end-time events which is not universally held. So if you read one or several of them, do not assume that this is the way it is going to happen. <clears throat> And if you read it, read it very quickly. <clears throat> Where do we stand in the midst of this as we are to analyze and respond to the world around us? Culture, events, people, and viewpoints from a biblical perspective, having a biblical worldview of everything. <clears throat> First, today, looking in general at this issue in summary, next week, looking at a biblical response to preparing for this event, the final week, the first Sunday of September, looking at a biblical response in the midst of the event, however it turns out. And so what I would like to do today is read some specific passages to answer some specific questions and then go into this issue in general. The first passage is found in Genesis chapter 18. <clears throat> And I'm not exegeting this passage in its entirety, just bringing out some specific answers to specific questions. <clears throat> Genesis 18, 16 through 21. This is about uh, Abraham uh, meeting with the Lord, and the Lord is going to tell him about his planned destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. And this passage to me, as we consider Y2K and the debate surrounding whether or not it's going to be a, the terrible event that many people are predicting, I just saw the, uh, yesterday that, that uh, the Department of Defense was predicting that most of the um, <clears throat> Most of the locations where they had army bases, most of the large cities, were going to have major <clears throat> electrical utility outages. And then someone else in the, in the administration said, well, they just assume it's all going to fail unless they know otherwise. Well, <laughs> it could or it could not. This is the whole question. <clears throat> so as we consider this issue, <clears throat> I think it's important for us to understand that it is quite possible that this event be an issue in which God is bringing judgment upon the people of this nation and perhaps the world as a whole. This is certainly a possibility. And so as we look at this possibility, <clears throat> I brought out this Sodom and Gomorrah passage to answer a specific question. Why was God looking at Sodom and Gomorrah 
with the potential of destroying them, bringing judgment out upon them. <clears throat> the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. <clears throat> I think as we consider our world today and our culture today, there is no doubt that the, that the answer to this question is, is, is it as bad as the outcry <clears throat> is that we are aware that many of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah are going on in our very land. And I'm not just speaking of, of homosexuality, sodomy. Um, <clears throat> just the, the many things that were present there, the disregard for human life and, and all of these things. Turn with me now, please, to Genesis chapter 11. <clears throat> Verses 1 through 9, story of the Tower of Babel. Now the whole world had one language and common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar instead of mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. <coughs> But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if it's one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this. But nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth. And they stopped building that city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And this passage does not, again, not only reveals why God brought about this judgment upon them and this great difficulty in the human intercourse, which was the introduction of foreign languages, different languages that are not my language, <clears throat> which was because of their plans, because of their pride, because of their uh, sense that there was nothing that they could not do, which is certainly, with the introduction of the computer culture, this is a very real thing, isn't it? A sense that there is nothing that we cannot do in our world. But also, this passage, I believe, answers the how he destroyed question. There's many ways in which he destroyed. The Sodom and Gomorrah, of course, fire and brimstone, destruction, killing of all the people. But in this situation, we might call it a high-tech destruction or a high-tech uh, judgment. Because in this situation, what God introduced was language, foreign language, which automatically speaks the lang means language that he speaks and not the language that I speak because I can't understand him. And so confusion was brought about by this judgment. And so we can see very easily how this could fit into the... Uh, the, the, the vacuum or, or, the, or the, the, the event that's coming up at the end of the century. <laughs> confusion is exactly what we are concerned about. And as a result of confusion, a scattering, the inability to work together. And so this is, is a possibility. But now I would like to go to Genesis 6. We're moving backwards in Genesis. Verses 5 through 15. And I'd like to point something specific about in this situation. How he warned. How did God warn his man in the situation who was Noah? Now, we've had a how did he warn also in Sodom and Gomorrah. He 
said, I must tell Abraham what's going to happen. And as a result, Abraham pleaded for the warning of Lot, who was his nephew, who was in Sodom and Gomorrah. But here in Genesis 6, 5 through 15, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth. Men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds in the air. For I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. And the instructions are explicit, and they go on from there. This is also the case when Christ warns the people in the Gospels of the impending destruction of Jerusalem. Why do I bring this up with regard to the how he warned? Because I think it's important for us to understand as we look at the many prognostications, predictions regarding scenarios for Y2K, that when God warns his people, he gives them specifics, and he tells them how it's going to happen if he intends to give a warning to them. In this event, with regard to Noah, Noah and his family are given all of the details of how they are to respond to the impending disaster. So we look at this event, Y2K, and its implications, and we say, how does the Christian community view this event? If you're like me, you've heard a great deal about this, perhaps more than you ever wanted to hear. Perhaps you have heard a number of things on uh, Christian radio talk shows, which I've heard a fair number of things on them. Factual updates on the readiness of our industries, utilities, government, manufacturers, and the world in general are a helpful resource. But beyond this, the Christian community seems to take this situation very seriously. Many are portraying this event with a great deal of religious zeal, as though this event is the fulfillment of prophecy and cannot be viewed as anything other than the fulfillment of prophecy in the explicit, explicit upcoming judgment of the Lord because of the wickedness of our nation. We have no question about the wickedness of our nation. The violence, <coughs> which God said he was going to destroy the, the earth, and Noah was given the job of saving his family and animals to repopulate the earth. Violence is present. Sins of Sodom and Gomorrah are present. The overweening pride and the attempt to accomplish things from which we cannot be stopped of the Tower of Babel, these are present. There's no doubt in our minds that we are ripe for judgment. It's indeed an event about which it is easy to have religious enthusiasm, while others are preparing it merely as an event requiring preparedness. 
And there's some who are reminding the Christians that we are told in Scripture in 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, for instance, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, <clears throat> and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever or an infidel, as it says in, I think, the King James Version. <clears throat> By ready implication suggesting, these people oftentimes are suggesting that we know the disaster is going to occur, and that only a fool would fail to prepare, risking the biblical curse of being a man who is not prepared for his family. What are the assumptions behind these views, specifically the views <coughs> that this disaster is sure, it's a fulfillment of prophecy, and those who do not prepare are disobeying God's instruction in Scripture? The assumptions are that we are certain about the results of the upcoming event. And that based upon our certainty, failure to prepare is unconscionable neglect of family. Now, language is crucial in this matter. For if we approach the possibilities as certainties and use biblical definitions in condemning those who have not prepared and are not preparing, then we are treating this uncertain situation, about which there is a great deal of uncertainty and a lot of fear, we're treating it as though specific preparations for the future were the same as providing the necessities of food and the like for this day. The passage in 1 Timothy says, He who does not provide for his family is worse than an infidel. He has denied the faith, and he is worse than an infidel. This passage in Timothy is specifically speaking of the provisions of the needs for the day not the provisions for an uncertain future, about which what provisions are going to be necessary is also uncertain. <clears throat> or we are treating this possible disaster, if, it were, if, if we're speaking in these terms, specific terms about what we are certain is going to happen when there is no certainty on it. We are treating the possible disaster as if it were a matter of religious prophecy, about which the Lord had spoken and spoken clearly. If it is such a matter of prophecy, those who are proclaiming that it is that there is prophecy concerning it should point to specific passages in Scripture. This is prophesied here at this point, in this manner, saying that this will happen. <clears throat> Certainly the time is uncertain, and this is regarding the passages in Scripture, this is why the Pharisees and others were caught flat-footed when Christ came. Not only their hearts were wrong, but they didn't figure it was going to happen in their time. <clears throat> if this is a matter of prophecy, <clears throat> then there should be specific biblical passages that are pointed to and addressed with regard to this. <clears throat> now, again, if it is a matter of prophecy then Scripture speaks about how we as Christians are to handle prophecy and judge prophets. The prophecy, and God speaks throughout Scripture, he says, I am, I am God, I am able to tell you what is going to happen. Are any of your false gods able to tell you what will happen in the future? No, because God is the only one who ordains and dictates it. And so if it's a prophecy that comes from God, it must be specific. For God does not give horoscope prophecies, one size fits all. Horoscopes, those things that he detests. Because not only do they not come from him, but they are also things that 
that can change like the shifting sands, like our God does not change. When God speaks, he gives clear words. As he prophesied, Christ would be born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem. As we've seen in the prophecies that I've read in Genesis, the whole earth is going to be destroyed by what? By a flood. Water is the problem. By fire and brimstone. By confusion of speech and the inability of people to communicate and hence to pursue a specific uh, organizational process. And the other point that is crucial for us to understand, if this is an event about which Scripture prophesies and people desire to say, this is prophecy, if you don't prepare, you're ignoring Scripture, then if there is measurable prophecy We have to also understand whoever gives the prophecy and says it refers to Y2K will be judged strictly according to the outcome. Because the scriptures say whoever says something is going to happen and it doesn't happen and says that it comes from the Lord, that is a very serious matter, a stoning matter in the Old Testament. If the outcome is precisely as one who prophesies, if it comes out exactly as the one who prophesies says from the Lord, then he can be regarded as a faithful prophet. If it is wrong in any respect, he is a false prophet. At the very least, not to be regarded under any circumstances by the church of believers. So you see, those who are speaking as Christians, seeking to give spiritual warnings to the believers in this situation, Seeking to apply biblical terms to define their warnings are in a difficult position. To say that those who do not prepare aggressively for disaster come January 1st, 2000 are worse than unbelievers for their failure of their families is to say that we, the Christian community, are certain of a specific disaster that will come on January 1st because the Lord has explicitly revealed it to us through the prophecy revealed in Scripture. Since it isn't a matter of prophecy, as far as is evident from the scriptures, those who are not preparing at all and those who are preparing only minimally may prove to have foolishly neglected the signs of disaster, but they have not demonstrated the kind of spiritual failure that comes in failing to listen to the word of God and be ready when he says be ready. What then can we say about this event? This is a matter of personal opinion. It goes beyond personal opinion. But in essence, as far as we as individuals are concerned and as the Church of Christ is concerned, I believe it's a matter of personal opinion, not an issue of faith in the large sense, despite the intensity of feeling on the issue. We look at the passage concerning Joseph, who prepared the Mideast for a seven-year famine, which saved not only Egypt, and many in the Mideast, including his own family. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord revealed the dream first to Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh said to to uh, all of his wise men, all of his astrologers, astronomers, he said, I'm not telling you the dream. You tell me the dream, and then you tell me the interpretation. And Joseph, by God's power and grace, managed to save the lives of all of the wise men of Egypt because the Lord delivered to him not only what the dream was regarding the fat cows and the skinny cows and the the healthy 
fat ears of corn and the, and the dried up shriveled ones. But the Lord also revealed to him, this is explicitly revealing seven years of feast and seven years of famine. All right? <clears throat> to ignore such a warning would have been great foolishness and terrible disobedience against the Lord. Given the lack of specific biblical teaching concerning this matter, this upcoming disaster or not, we must be prepared for and allow a great diversity of response among the Christians. Is that clear? If the, Lord, if the word of the Lord does not say this is the word of the Lord concerning this, then it is a matter on which there is personal spiritual freedom. <clears throat> but what if? That's the question, right? That's why this issue has concerned so many people. What if this event turns out to be all that some dire predictions suggest and more besides? Is God in it? Of course God is in it. Because God is sovereign over all things, all people, and all events, according to his great and powerful and mighty sovereignty. And it may be that he does use this event as a judgment against our nation and as a judgment against our world. The Tower of Babel, the people conspired to build a tower up to the heaven. God decided not only to put a stop to that project, but he said if they can do this, then what else will they be able to do? So he stopped that project and future such projects. Different languages were the means he used to thwart their great pride. And again, one could easily see the parallels. If the Y2K issue were to bring about an end to civilization as we know it, the very computer chip which has served to advance us so far in terms of knowledge, technology, medicine, and so many other fields could also bring about our downfall. There is no way to tell if God is going to use this to bring about judgment upon us as a people for our sin. There's no doubt that we are ripe for judgment. As applying the specific situations of the judgments I've read from Genesis to our nation and to our world today reveal again and again, these are things that make up our land, the people in our nation. And it is certain that if this were to bring about our downfall, it would be a fitting judgment. Sort of like making the punishment fit the crime. (laughs) The very computer chip which has allowed us to be so progressive and so advanced and so intelligent and so capable would all of a sudden bring about a great disaster. It's ironic to think that when we started out with computers, and, and I remember Gus telling me about a, a fellow that he worked with at Curtis Wright, who used to be just a whiz with math. Just He could do anything. Gus could present him with any problem, and he could turn it out in short order. And then he got a computer that he could use. And it got so that it would take him days to give the responses. And then he couldn't do anything without the computer. <clears throat> And so it would be ironic that this matter of such great help and service to us would turn out to be our downfall. Would this serve God's purposes? No matter what the outcome, it will serve his purpose. Because he turns even the greatest sin and sinners to the purpose of serving his glory, this event will be no different, and anticipation of it will be no different. For the world and for the believers, his purpose is that all consider his glory 
and obey his will. What is happening in our world at this point in time? Many people have their attention, perhaps for some for the first time in their lives, fixed on something that is not today and tomorrow. It's fixed much further. It's not a long ways away, but it is further than they were originally looking. With the approaching end of this millennium, many people as well have started to consider what it will be like when the world comes to an end. And when they come to an end in this world. And so the Jenkins and LaHaye books have begun to be bestsellers in the secular bookstores as well. Not that they're great reading, (laughs) but they're fascinating because they present us with an opportunity to consider what will happen at the end of the world. And so people are thinking about these things. Whether Christians or unbelievers consider this subject, the effect has great potential because it points people to the fact that computers and all the things that can be done with them are not the end all. Although they might be. (laughs) Material things are all temporary and transitory. They wear out, they stop working, they become obsolete. Because of the fast approach of December 31st, people everywhere are seeking to make the most of their time. As they with doubt and regrets upon many aspects of their lives, they look on their lives and they consider, is there any way in which I should live differently? And they may only be considering this with regard to water and food and and utilities. This is a step in the direction of taking a look at a personal life. And I can't say that this step leads to salvation because it doesn't unless the Lord is in it. And yet it presents us as Christians with magnificent opportunities to say, all right, you're looking at Y2K. And you say, this event's happening in the future. It's on the horizon. What are you doing to prepare for it? You get into a good conversation about that. And you make a transition and you say, if this event has you scared... And what about an event that is much more certain than this event, which is that all will die and then the judgment? This must motivate us. And it also presents us with magnificent opportunities to plant the seeds that by God's grace and the working of the Holy Spirit will motivate others to start examining their lives according to God's standards and to the certainties that are sure, which is death and the judgment. <clears throat> See that you then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. <clears throat> Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. If we Christians go through this time... And we don't take the advantage to point people's eyes to the event that is beyond Y2K, then we have not redeemed the time. We have wasted it. If we're concerned talking with people about what may happen then, a shortage of food, a shortage of gas, a shortage of anything and everything, and we're not talking about a shortage of the Holy Spirit, then we are wasting our time. is to God's glory when he is praised and people everywhere seek to use their lives as though they understand that there is life beyond this world. 
close with an illustration. We're talking about uh, packing the car's things away in their container. <clears throat> as Neil was mentioning earlier, it looks like they're going to get most of their things on there. But as interesting as we began the work and we looked around, it, there was, you know, they lived in a house, and it's a good-sized house, and they have all these things. And as we started to work, it looked to me like they were going to have to leave a fair number of things behind, things that they had already not decided to leave behind. And so as I considered that, I thought, how fascinating to think as a missionary. You have to prioritize and analyze your life to say what is important and what isn't. <clears throat> I can do without this, I can do without this, I can do without this. And by God's grace, as we consider the issue of Y2K, may it be that this would have a similar effect upon our lives. That we would say, what is important? What is crucial? By considering these things, that we would live trimmer, shall we say, and leaner lives. Like a missionary going overseas who says, I only have so much room, I can only take so much. I'm going to leave these things behind. And that through this analysis, that we would do a fair analysis of our lives and of our relationships with our family and the world around us, and that we would learn from what we find in our analysis and that God would be gloried in the way in which we live in the midst of this uh, preparation for a crisis of unknown proportions. Let us pray. Dear Father, we pray that you would cause us in all situations at all times to redeem the time, to take every opportunity and seek by your grace, by the way in which we live and by the words which we speak, to point to you, sometimes subtly, sometimes bluntly, and to be bold to speak out concerning the certainty of death and eternity and the judgment We pray that you might use this event, whether it's a a very minor one in the course of humanity or a terrible disaster, that you would use this event to your glory to bring people to salvation and maturity in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.